If you're new to bow hunting and you're making a go of it on your own, I give you so much props. I mean, hunting forces you to really understand uh, the animal, your prey. It forces you to understand what it does, why it does it on at any given time of the day. Hunting forces you to understand the habit, the habitat, I'm sorry, that this animal lives in. You know, it forces you to really get the lay of the land, um, you know, understand where it where it eats, where it sleeps, where it shits, pardon my French. You know what I'm saying? So again, if, if you're making a go of it on your own, props to you. Now, if you're one of those newer hunters that has been lucky enough to find someone to be your mentor, um, I know when you're finally out on the hunt, it can be really exciting and you get so caught up in the moment that you're willing to settle for being told what to shoot and when don't um you know if you've got a hunting a hunting mentor there's a reason you hooked up with them um they're knowledgeable um in all the things that you want to learn so ask questions pick their brains apologize for being so annoying and asking you know questions here and there um i know i'm guilty of it um but learn become i mean there's a reason why this person is your mentor um so learn everything that you can so that way um in the future in the near future you can play you can go ahead and play their role and be a mentor to someone else and lastly to hunting mentors uh kudos to you as well for being mentors but i have seen um some people kind of take the easy way and do what i said where they take a new hunter out and literally just tell them you know where to point and where to shoot you know you guys got into mentoring for a reason um it was the love of hunting and wanting to see somebody um fall in love with hunting as well so take the time um just don't tell them when to shoot and what to shoot at let them know or teach them what you know you know what i'm saying teach them everything about the woods everything about the animal they're hunting and trust me it, it's one of those things like you know you 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 give a person a fish you feed them for a day you know what i'm saying you teach a person a fish and you're feeding them for a lifetime so um apply that to hunting you know what i'm saying uh, and uh and just have fun with it i know i am all right so um i would be doing you guys a disservice if i didn't put you on to the um hunting companies that i am lucky enough to work with all right um first up nor'easter game calls you know i i talk about them a lot um mark is just uh you know he's just nice with it you know what i'm saying this is a dude that works a regular nine to five and then when he gets home from work he's down in his shop um busting out these beautiful custom game calls whether they be uh deer grunt calls um duck calls turkey box calls turkey pot calls you name it he makes it and on top of that he also makes knives 
custom knives, something to take a look at. Um, if you haven't already, check them out on Instagram at NoreasterGameCalls.com. I'm sorry, at NoreasterGameCalls on Instagram or visit his website, www.NoreasterGameCalls.com. Um, I was lucky enough to partner with Mark and get my logo um, on some turkey box calls and turkey pot calls. There are two types of pot calls he's putting out. Um, they're uh, ones with a glass surface and one with a uh, slate. So there's something for everyone. Um, and it's in the, the pot calls are in my uh, logo colors, red, white, and black. The box calls are made out of wood, of course, like most box, I pretty much all box calls are, right? Um, and depending on what type of wood you want, you can check them out. So take a look again, NoreasterGameCalls.com. Um, cop yourselves one of the Urban Archery NYC turkey box calls or pot calls. They look really dope. Um, next up, Afflictor Broadheads. All right, these are some tough broadheads, y'all. Um, they are the broadheads that I use, uh, specifically the fixed EXT broadheads. Um, I used them and actually killed my first turkey last spring, uh, 2020. Um, the only bow kill I've got, um, period, in my uh, short-lived hunting career. Um, and they, again, are some tough tough broadheads um later on in the season last year i took a shot at a doe and miss and planted my arrow into a tree um the arrow didn't fare so well but the broadhead is totally totally fine i'm actually i've actually got that broadhead on another arrow and in a quiver ready to go for this upcoming uh spring turkey season so check them out uh, that's Afflictor Broadheads, www.afflictorbroadheads.com. And last but not least, Onyx Hunt. All right, the Onyx Hunt app is the number one GPS hunting app um, for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Got a whole bunch of, uh, what do you call it, features, um, you know, like tracking your location so you can basically map out an entrance and exit strategy for yourself in the woods. Um, you had can add waypoints, which are basically markers that are with different labels on them. That if you see deer bed deer beds, you can mark that point on your map and come back to it later. Um, another dope thing is you can use Onyx on a mobile device and on your computer at home. So whatever you do, let's say you do some e scouting at home, you can drop some pins. Um, some markers on the map on there some places of interest for you so that way once you get out to the woods you can confirm you know what you may have seen on the topographical map and you know figure out did it work out once you had boots on the ground and vice versa once you've confirmed what you've seen if you got to make any changes you can do so on your mobile device um, and then once you get home boom it's updated on the website on your computer so check them out that is on the onyx hunt app just uh, either download it to your Apple or Android device or just go ahead to www.onyxmaps.com.
What up, what up, what up? Welcome to episode 54 of When the Hunt Calls, the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from New York City. And I am said black guy, Cliff Cadet, your host. What's going on, everybody? All right, so I'm going to jump right into it. Um, my guest today is Billy Phillips, all right? Um, I mentioned to you guys uh, months back, I got the uh, opportunity back in October to head down to Virginia to hunt. Now, um, in between sits that day, um, Scott, who was kind of uh, uh, my hunting mentor for that trip, my guide for the trip, um, uh, in between sits, took me out to lunch where we met up with uh, Billy and Taylor, Taylor Chamberlain. Um, now, uh, just so you know, Billy and Taylor actually started their own podcast, um, if I'm correct, called the Hanging Hunt Podcast. You'll, you'll hear about it uh, later on in the interview. But um, I got the opportunity that day at lunch to kind of pick these guys' brains, learn about where they're coming from, and, um, and you know, their tips and tricks, uh, their experiences and whatnot when it comes to hunting. Um, uh, I, while both dudes are really cool, Taylor and, and Billy, um, I had one, to, I was kind of vibing with, with Billy a little bit more when we were at lunch that day because he was kind of picking my brain um, in turn, uh, trying to understand or where my head is at coming from New York City and wanting to hunt, wanting to learn about hunting and whatnot. So um, so I wanted to get him on the show because I wanted you guys to, you know, uh, learn a little bit more about urban archery. And, that, and when I say urban archery, I'm not talking about uh, me or my brand, my logo or anything like that, but the urban archery initiative that got, goes on in, a, um, you know, a couple of uh, cities, states, towns and whatnot throughout the United States. And I wanted to introduce you guys to Billy as well, because um, dude has some dope stories to tell. Um, and chances are I'm going to have him back on for another um, episode. But let's not talk about that. Let me jump uh, right into this uh, this interview with Billy. Now, just a heads up. I actually before I even hit record, I had started a conversation with Billy and it was just flowing. And I was like, oh, what am I doing? I'm wasting all this stuff um, and, and not even recording it. So I hit record uh, in the middle of a conversation. So uh, sorry for that because it might sound weird or whatnot, but it you'll enjoy it. I promise you. I promise you. All right. So without further ado, here's When the Hunt Calls and my guest, Billy Phillips. Specifically for that. But yeah, it's only a one-way call. Got it. Got it. Well, I appreciate you uh, getting one of those. But the cool thing is, you know what it is? Um, uh, like I tried to put out there, I'm not making any money off of this. I just thought it'd be cool for to see my logo on a piece mm -hmm. of hunting equipment. And on top of that, uh, Mark's always been a great dude. The, the dude has a regular nine to five and then he gets home and he works in his shop in the basement till like midnight, um, like every night making these calls by hand. And uh, what do you call it? So I just thought it would be a cool way to to also support a small business so oh absolutely i mean it, it made me look at him so it was totally worth it the the one the pot call that he makes that it's uh, i can't remember what it's called but it's like broken blood vessels or something in acrylic that that is that, that so looks really cool, cool. right you oh my see, god he's made a couple of grunt calls with um where he put like real, I think gold flakes in them. They came out beautiful. And then uh, one with uh, shredded hundred dollar bills. It's mm -hmm. like it, basically everything he makes looks really dope. Like um, and it's I just uh, one we we share the same faith. So a lot of times we'll we'll talk about um 
religion sometimes when we're on the phone and then uh and then just his work ethic man like the dude um just likes what he does and likes working with his hands and like i said every night he's in his shop just you know grinding away making these beautiful calls yeah and and, and if you like doing it you know so he could finish and retire from his nine to five and do this the way that he wants yep yep right all right, you know what? Um, I already started recording because I already liked the conversation the way it was going. So, <laughs> yeah, it's so, all good. Man. So there goes the Nor'easter game call plug. Um, all right, <laughs> and uh, I want to <laughs> welcome, ladies and gentlemen, uh, William Phillips. All right, um, you mind if I call you Billy? I heard you. Yeah, I heard, Billy. Uh, t- uh, Taylor referring to that on your own podcast. So yeah, it, it's weird because um, depending on the group that I'm in, depends mm-hmm. on. What- what people call me, you know, if it's my family and close friends, they call me Billy, but like at work, it's William or Will. And, and, and it's kind of, I guess I haven't really made it very easy for people because like on my Instagram handles, William Phillips, but then most people who know me call me Billy. So yeah, you can call me Billy. I might even <laughs> want to change that on Instagram, right? <laughs> hey, wouldn't it be bad? Uh, and I could totally understand what you're talking about. Cause uh, even when I was in school growing up, I knew who, who like when somebody called me they either called me by my full name clifford you know what i'm saying and if somebody called me clifford it was either somebody that i grew up with um those were the only people that would call me that like like you said family and and Mm -hmm. really close friends that knew me from like waist high and then uh, everybody else called me cliff so it's one of those uh like you said it depends on who you with determines uh what your name is yeah absolutely but you know billy's cool that's no problem (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> got it, got it. So, Billy, I wanted to have you on. Um, let me let me give everyone a little backstory. Um, you and I got the opportunity to meet last October when um, Scott from ATA invited me down to Virginia to hunt. Um, I met up with you and Taylor for lunch uh, one day in between sits. And you and I got a chance to sit and spoke. And not for nothing, I was vibing with you, man. Like, I really liked the conversation we were having. I started following you on Instagram. You got a lot of dope content and whatnot. So I wanted to get you on because I feel like you're 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 definitely somebody that newer hunters within not only the bow hunting community, but just the hunting community as a whole, that you're somebody that uh you know people should know. So um I wanted to start out first. So where are you originally from VA? Yeah, actually, yeah, I'm I'm originally from Maryland. Um when we met the last October that was in Virginia where I currently live uh, in Northern Virginia area. You know, I, I live 45 minutes from, from DC. And I, I actually remember in the parking lot, I was walking in and I had never met you. I thought I was just meeting Scott. And I, I, I don't know if you remember, but you were wearing a hat and I can't remember what it was. It was something positive. And I looked, I said, man, I like your hat. I didn't even know who you were. And I walked in, sat down and boom, you came and sat down. Yeah table with me i'm like oh okay well that was that yep. was like convenient wasn't it i was but, um, i was wearing i was wearing a snapback that said the hustle on it and you yeah you definitely yeah. had commented okay. on it and i was like all right i was like random dude like my hat and then walked into the barbecue spot and boom there you go we were uh, yeah. we were meeting up for lunch yeah that yeah, was pretty was, cool that that was definitely wild but i yeah i had a good time talking to you and um you know it was it was really cool because I had already followed you on Instagram. And when I saw you, I was like, I recognize, oh my gosh, now I know who you are. And then we started talking and you talked about your journey, um, 
with more detail than we get off of, you know, stories and some some things that you have on your feed through through your account. Um, and now that you've got a podcast, you really get get to put that story out. But sitting down, down and talking to you, just hearing that perspective that you have and your background going into hunting is just is so unique. It's just absolutely incredibly unique. And I really like the fact that you're connecting with other people that are who live in it's like really, really urban areas. Yeah, that, I mean that that's my main reason for having created that that account was just because when when I first decided I wanted to hunt, um, I had found when I was on social media that uh, black hunters were kind of few and far between. But I really wasn't looking hard enough. Then I found that while there is, uh, there are a lot of you know black hunters within the hunting community uh it's not as many as i thought they were going to uh, you know those hunters don't necessarily come from where i come from like a lot of the black hunters that i that i see on social media um tend to more come from rural areas like the south or even out even out in the midwest or whatnot, mm-hmm. or even further out west out on the west coast so um i don't necessarily relate to them as much because i've got different issues coming from new york city and stuff like that and mm-hmm. what I wanted to do with my with my uh, or what I'm trying to do with my content now is is let guys know from places like New York City, like my city, like, hey, there there are people out there who who who, you know, are trying to navigate, you know, being, a, a, you know, having a family, you know, being married, having kids, uh, working a demanding job um, and then starting out in this new adventure, you know, we call hunting, you know, what I'm saying and and try to figure out how to to get around that so now it's really wild that you know you're coming from a very very urban area and going out to hunt and i live in a fairly rural area and i don't really hunt very much in the rural area i go in towards the city to hunt now i don't obviously hunt like in dc because it's illegal to Mm -hmm. But there'd be plenty of opportunities so i'm right on the edge i mean i can throw a rock a lot of times to either the dc line or to the river that that uh you know the dc that borders dc so it's kind of, it's just this juxtaposition from where you're coming from and where i'm coming from we're like crossing paths halfway mm-hmm. you know yeah definitely now you're touching on something that surprised me when i first decided to hunt all right so i took on the instagram handle urban archery nyc and when i googled urban archery like beforehand um I, de- I never knew that this sort of initiative existed. Could you share with me and my listeners what urban archery is and like how you basically what you do in and around your town? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, there is a tremendous overpopulation of white-tailed deer um, in and around many of the metropolitan cities throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities to deer hunt there are virtually limitless for the you know, the, the, the number of deer that you're able to harvest. There's extremely uh, liberal bag limits, especially for antlerless deer, to try to control that population. Um, we're right outside of D.C., and there have been estimates of anywhere from one to 400 deer per square mile in some of these areas. And what's crazy is that a biological carrying capacity, in general, they, they would like it to be, or biologists would like it to be, around 15 or 20 deer per square mile. And we're at two and three and four hundred in some areas. Now wow. you look at the, the guys that are down, like the Seek One boys 
down in Atlanta. They're they're fighting the exact same thing. There's mm-hmm. lots of areas in Jersey. There's, there's really you can't you can't go to a metropolitan city that is surrounded by rural acreage and whitetails and not have them in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So what we do is um, we start. I I started uh, as a teacher. I was an elementary school teacher, kindergarten and second grade. And it was, it was a great job. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I had a lot of my students and their parents, they, people in the school and the community found out that I was a bow hunter. And one said, Hey, I've tried to plant these holly trees, no joke, holly trees in my yard to try to make a screen and the deer eat them every year. <laughs> I wanted to tell this guy, I want to say, look, stop planting holly trees. They're going to eat them anyway. You know, but he just said, I, I, I want to plant these holly trees. So can you come over and shoot the deer? I said, no problem. And that started, it, it was a slow snowball, but it just escalated into um, me having more properties than, than I need to hunt um, in those areas. Now they're all small. I mean, postage stamps, but I'm able to, I've been able to kind of hone my craft per se of picking properties and finding little subdivisions where I'm the only one hunting in these, you know, let's say it's five or 10 acres worth of properties in an HOA and I'm the only one hunting there. So it's, it, it's really turned into from, I just wanted to hunt. I was trying to find a place to hunt and I would take anything. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought I was, actually getting the short end of the stick in not having, I couldn't land a big farm where I lived. I mean, there's, mm. huge, there's, there's vineyards, there's, there's apple orchards everywhere around here. There's big horse farms and I couldn't land any of those properties. They were all either leased or already had folks hunting on them. So I just kept my eyes open, kept talking to people. And when I found that Avenue, it just blew up from there. And now the only time I really hunt rural is when I'm hunting with my family. I'll take my kids, take my wife. I go with my my folks on you know family properties, but otherwise, I'm in the burbs. Wow. So so you grew up hunting. Is something that um, like you were raised on, or something you started doing later on in life? Absolutely. Uh, my very first deer hunt. I was I wasn't actually hunting. I accompanied my grandfather and my dad. It was like the annual opening day of of rifle season in maryland and we hunted or we still do we hunt sika deer they're the japanese sika deer um and they're a miniature elk basically and Mm -hmm. we cut our teeth hunting and my my very first hunt i was 10 years old i was i'm sorry i was nine and my grandfather took me into a stand and i'm sitting there eating candy not paying attention you know (laughs) got a light and all of a sudden he just stands up in this wooden ladder stand uh, and just stood up and shot. And I looked up and I saw the sick of dough drop. And I, that's, it just happened so fast. I wasn't paying attention. It was just, so it went over and that was my first real experience with, with deer hunting. And, uh, you know, years after that, I started deer hunting on my own, um, shot my first deer and things like that. And it just gradually progressed. I I did some bow hunting when I was in middle school and into high school. Not a ton because I was wrestling competitively then 
And in fact, I was wrestling year round at that point. So <laughs> when, when bow hunting was getting great in the fall, that's when my wrestling season was beginning. And I was, I was dedicated enough to that. So then I went through high school, through college. And after college, I wasn't wrestling anymore. I could do my own thing. And I wanted to get back into bow hunting. And my brothers always tease me and they say, do you remember when you quit bow hunting and then you got back into it after college i'm like look i never quit bow hunting i just couldn't <laughs> do it for like you know like eight eight years or so uh but once i got back into it uh was around it was around 2002 or so and i started working at bass pro shop down in atlanta my wife and i moved there we were just dating at the time but um i needed a summer job because i was teaching and i went to bass pro and they hired me I had experience and they were like, you know, experience hunting. I had no experience whatsoever in retail, zero, <laughs> Zippy, you know? So they're like talking about barcodes and things like that. And I said, can I just go and work in the archery department? And they looked at me like I was crazy. I said, they were like, do you know how to do any of that stuff? I said, yeah, I mean, I can cut arrows and I can install things on bows. And I said, I can't really tune them, but, you know, I can, I can at least get someone sort of set up and on paper they were like okay no problem so every day when i walked in i went right to the archery shop and i never had to do the restocking the shelves and and you know putting barcode stickers on things like that i just <laughs> i just played i just played bow shop but i didn't really know very much and there were a few guys in there who i learned a lot more from uh, one guy's name's Wes greenwood i'm still friends with him to this day and jr landers still friends with that guy today and they taught me some things and then um after that i moved back to uh, virginia close to close to family and as soon as i moved back to virginia in about 2000 i think it was four that's when i started hunting in suburban areas that's so and it up, just, yeah and and our seasons you know, our, our regular antlerless season go, it goes from September, the first Saturday in September till right around the last Saturday in April. And wow. then after that, yeah, after that, if one of my landowners has problems with, uh, you know, with deer damaging, whether it's their crops or landscaping or whatever, we can get a, a damage permit or they can obtain a damage permit through the state and then we can go and hunt year round for antlerless deer. So the opportunity awesome. to harvest deer is is pretty incredible here. You know, I think well, I was telling you about the place, the one property that that I have. I call it the meat factory. <laughs> I've I've been there, and I think I told you. I said it's right down the street. If it it's one of those properties that I can only get permission on this one property in this entire HOA. The HOA president and people on the board don't want anyone hunting there. I mean, they've really? made it very, very clear, and, and and I'm fine with that. It's just a couple of them, and but a bunch of the other neighbors would like hunting. Well, the one property that I've gotten permission on and actually has a, an adequate setup to hunt on, I call it the meat factory. I haven't been there and seen less than, fewer than 20 deer, Damn. and it's a five-acre five property. All right, so I'm curious. All right, so, I mean, you you've hunted – um outside of outside of there as well so you've uh, you have probably experienced you know hunting um you know in the woods stuff like that but hunting in backyards what do you do to prepare or i guess scout for anything like that is it one of those where you're like all right you look at the property and you think 
maybe the deers are cu- the deer are coming in um, over here, or they might come in this way, and I can set up um, you know my stand or whatever over here, or I'd imagine it might be um, the owner of the property, like, hey, this is where the deer are at this time every day eating my bushes. Absolutely. So all of the above, um, I, I try to set myself up for success as much as humanly possible. Like I'm not going to just go to a property and go hunt it just because I have permission on it. Okay. Okay. So if I, I've definitely given up properties and told folks that I can't hunt there anymore because it's not worth my time. You know, maybe it's a seasonal property or I'll tell them, look, I, I'm only going to hunt here in October. Your neighbor has an apple tree. It's the only time deer are going to really be here during daylight hours is to go to that apple tree. So I'll hunt here for these three weeks. You know, um, I will I look for properties first off that are going to be productive for an extended period of time. So they've got cover. They've got the deer. They've got places for me to set up. OK, now once. I've established that I've got a property that's pretty decent. Um, first thing I do is the landowners are going to tell you, this is where I see the deer. This is where they come from. This is where they, because these are small properties. You know, you're talking about you know, a couple acres. You can look around a couple acres and see if you see deer out of your window, you're going to know where they are generally just by living there. So then I, after that, it's boots on the ground. Um, I definitely do a lot of onyx, but that's, when I first initially start looking at properties, but once I have boots on the ground, then I just go look and see where I can see where I can set up with the predominant winds. Typically, you know, in the, a lot of times in the summertime and, and really early season, you have these South and Southwest winds right where I hunt a lot of the places I hunt. And then it switches over to North anywhere from the North, Northeast, Northwest. I rarely get winds from the Southeast or directly out of the East. I do sometimes, but, you know, that I know. It's typically, I'm, I'm, I like to be on, you know, f- working on those predominant winds. But then I just look for a tree that I've got some cover in. And I mean, I saddle hunt too, so I can get in just about any tree that I want to. So I'm not really always looking for the best, straightest, perfect tree. I'm always looking for cover. You know, and that's, that's one of the big things that I look for is cover. Because, you know, there's one property that I can think of in particular um, I had a real difficult time hunting it. It was full of deer, but I had a very, very difficult time from getting picked off. I tried to go really high. I tried to, I actually hunted out of their tree house. They had a, a, a tree house and they, and they, and I shot a deer out of their tree house. But the, uh, I had a difficult time just because all the trees were like telephone poles. And as soon as a deer stepped onto the small property, they would, they'd peg you. So oh, I, you just stand out because unless you, you unless, yeah, unless you're a beanpole yourself, you're not. And, and I'm not. And I'm, I'm, I've got the svelte shape of a bowling ball. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I stood out even even in a saddle behind the tree. The trees weren't very big. Well, the neighbor had a patch of bamboo and there were a couple big tulip poplars that were growing out of the bamboo. And I the, but the neighbor's property was terrible to hunt. You could not shoot into the backyard. They had they had. It was like a garden and, and it was fenced off. So the deer didn't even go into it. But I went and got permission on the neighbors and said, can I hunt here? I'm not going to shoot into your yard. I'm actually going to shoot into your neighbor's yard. So that bamboo wrapped around these trees. So I would go up and be basically in bamboo. I'd walk in from, from the front yard down like the fence row. I had bamboo in front of me the whole time. I'd walk right through the bamboo, right to the base of my tree. 
climbed the tree, set up my saddle, and it's like I elevated above all these bushes and this bamboo and stuff to be able to shoot into the next yard. The deer never knew I was there and really over years have never really figured out how I'm killing them from where I'm killing them because I'm not shooting from the same yard. I'm shooting from a different yard. Uh, so that cover uh, is so incredibly important. Got it. You know, got it. I can only shoot one way. Like I, that's it. I can only shoot one way. There's a, it's right at the, the end of the property that I'm actually sitting on where the tree is. Like I told you, it's a fence in that backyard. So the deer come around the back of that fence and go into the wide open yard that I can hunt on. So I shoot into that wide open yard. So that cover covers is critical. It's absolutely crucial. Understood. You know, I think now, the next thing is okay. real important. I, no, just, I don't mean to cut you off, but the other Not really nice. important piece is property boundaries too. Like, if the deer are, I see deer there, they're there every single day, you know, and I look at that area and maybe there's a, a, a city park with like lots of kids right there, you know, um, maybe I don't want to shoot a deer right there and it runs over and dies in the city park, you know, or, you know, could, there could be a road right there, like a heavily traveled highway, people driving 50, 60 miles an hour. I don't want to shoot a deer and have it cross the road. And get hit by a car, cause an accident, cause a problem. So those things I do have to consider also. No, that's smart. Definitely just plan for for those things you don't necessarily see happening, but still could possibly. And um, it's funny because have you ever had any issue? Um, I was just thinking about it. Uh, retrieving a deer because you mentioned like in this H this HOA, you've got very few, you know, yards that you can hunt have you ever had an issue where you you've shot a deer and it goes you know hopping into onto a property that you didn't have permission to hunt like do the property owners give you a problem just retrieving a deer so i've got countless stories that i can tell you i can hit a couple highlights there's some good ones um but yeah absolutely and you know this is the typical protocol so i shoot a deer it doesn't go where I want it to go. Maybe it goes onto another property that mm-hmm. I don't have permission to hunt. I don't have um, a verbal, hey, you can come retrieve a deer whenever you want. Maybe I've, maybe it's gone a different way, new property. I've never been there. So very first thing I do, I make sure that, that deer goes onto that property and didn't leave the property. So let me paint a picture for you. Let's say um, the deer runs onto a property I don't know anything about but it goes through that property onto another property. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know it's not on that property. I didn't know about it. It's on the other one. I'm not going to go to that first one. I'm not even going to start there. Yeah. I want to go to the last place I saw it. Cause I don't want more than, I don't want to go to one property and say, Hey, I'm going to start tracking a deer here. If it was unnecessary, I'm going to go to the very last spot that I know the deer was. And that's where I'm looking for blood. So I'm not traipsing through multiple properties. So that's one. The second thing is fine. I also my landers and said, hey, "Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on." I don't know, if you, go. Go. I don't know if you can hear me, but you're you're mm-hmm. uh, you're breaking up like really bad. Hello. Okay. Yeah. All right. There, yeah. There hold on. All right. So. Um, All right. We can, you I can you, start. Yeah, you could go. You could go right back. At, yeah, is this is this a lot better now? Yeah, there you go. Okay. 
All right. So I do, I have had issues with retrieving deer before when they've gone off property and if I don't have permission on property. Uh, so the first thing that I'll do is I look exactly where the last spot that I saw the deer. And then I don't want to go and start tracking blood from where the arrow was, walk through two or three properties when I know the deer is not on that property. I know it's on that far two acre spot, you know, with the yellow house. So I'm either going to contact the landowner where I do have permission to hunt on and say, Hey, do you think you could call them? My deer went there. If they don't know them, I'll just go knock on the door. Uh, I, and typically what happens is I get, I, I dress in street clothes. I don't wear camo. I don't obviously don't bring a bow up to the house or anything <laughs> like that. I, I just look like some annoying sales guy or something, you know? So I'll, um, I'll knock on the door and introduce myself, um, give them my card even, and just say, hey, I'm a local bow hunter. Um, I tell them that, you know, I, I shot a deer on such and such a property. It ran over here. It's on your property. I'd like to retrieve it. If you give me permission, I'll take it, remove it immediately, and there'll be no sign of it, you know, whatsoever. Usually they're kind of confused a little bit and say, uh, uh, you're doing what? And I have to explain <laughs> I'm deer hunting. Um, it's an urban archery program to reduce the population. I shot one. It just, it ran a couple yards over. It's in your yard. I'd like to remove it if you'd give me permission. And they're like, yeah, okay, no problem. Go ahead. Other times that that's the most common. Other times people will say, well, we have a lot of deer. Can you hunt here also? <laughs> and then, you know, and that happens a lot. And there's a small percentage who are upset about it. And, but we'll still let you do it. It's very, very rare that you have someone who refuses. Uh, in those instances, we, I've got the game warden on speed dial. So this, the conservation police officers, as they're called in Virginia, uh, you know, I can, I call them right away and let them know. And they usually sometimes will get involved, call the landowner and say, look, he's got a deer. If you want it to just sit there and rot, it's just going to sit there and rot and you're going to smell it for a week. And it's wasteful, and this deer is going to go to feed the you know the, the needy through hunters for the hungry. So you know we could not waste this deer, and we can get it immediately. Usually they uh, you know they relent and say come get it, and then you know stay away from that area and don't hunt close to that property, right? And there you go, there you go. Yeah, you know, we but we did have one once that um, you know we've had police called on us a bunch, and um, we did have one, and it wasn't me; it was a buddy of mine. Uh, he shot a deer and it ran right where we didn't want it to run to this anti hunters property and actually went into the pool. Whoa. They yeah. had to be pissed. They were super pissed. So he walks up to the door and the guy is just livid. I mean, he's livid. He's just extremely upset. I mean, there's a deer turning his pool red right now. So the hunter buddy of mine, talks to the guy says look this is what we'll do i will pay to have your pool pumped out new water in it get the deer out of here everything else apologize and the guy actually shook my buddy's hand at the end and said you know i don't agree with what you're doing but i do appreciate you going the extra mile to make it right so he was still angry but at least <laughs> at least the guy was just understood that the, the hunter was actually a, a not a bad guy or anything like that. He was just a regular dude. 
Yeah, I mean, you can agree to disagree on the topic, but at, at the end of the day, you still got to be respectful to each other. And that's what, that's what your buddy was doing, and that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, it's... You're, those instances where you do have deer that go onto other properties, you try to minimize them at all costs. And we've preached, Taylor and I talk about it all the time. If I can have that deer take one less step because I put a better shot on it, I do. Yeah. I pass on deer. I pass on so many deer every year because it's not the right angle. It's not, and I, I'm, it's a luxury to be able to do it right. But mm-hmm. if, if it's just not right, I you don't take the shot. I pass on them. And and I, I learned that through experience. I've definitely taken shots where I'm at full draw. I settled a pin and I know the angle isn't perfect and I've still squeezed it off. And most of the time I've gotten lucky, but there have been times that I wasn't as lucky and, you know, there's things I'll never forget, you know, losing deer is something that, that you never forget and you don't want to, ever replicate so if there's any hunters out there any especially any new folks who are into bow hunting the best advice i can give you is practice as much as you can at distance and everything else but when it comes down to shoot keep your shots close maybe your first couple years your first couple deer keep everything under 20 yards yeah you that's, know, that's the one thing start, that's the one thing i apologize for cutting you off that no. i had respected greatly um sitting at lunch with you and taylor um as as seasoned as you guys are both of you were like nah we don't take any shots under 20 i mean uh over 20 yards mm-hmm. and i was like really they were like yep 20 or better and that's it and i was like wow all right i'm like these are two guys who do this on the regular almost day in day out and whatnot and are good at what they do and they're not even taking uh long distance shots like that and you guys were like nah yeah. we keep it at 20 or better and i was like all right wow that's dope and I, and I respected that greatly. You know, when, when you, when you've been on so many blood trails and you've seen recovered so many deer, cause you know, we've got other buddies who also hunt with us, you know, and, and hunt almost as much as we do. And so, you know, when, whenever a deer shot, you know, everybody's okay. Three or four of us, were going to blood trail and go to help drag or, you know, do whatever. So you get to see, I mean, we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deer that have had arrows that that have gone through them and been on those blood trails and things. So we've learned a lot about the anatomy of a deer and what happens when an arrow goes through them. And I mean, my favorite, absolute favorite shot is a quarter, slightly quartering away shot, not severe. And it's, I I like it more than I like a broadside shot. Mm. That's my preferred shot. If it's slightly quartering away and that near leg is forward a little bit, it's game over. I mean, you've got such a huge area in there. If you just put that arrow somewhere towards the center of that, the deer is going nowhere. If it runs, it won't, it won't run a hundred yards. You know, it's like mm. broadside shots can, can, you know, they're great. And they're, it's duck soup. You know, you hit one broadside in the top of the heart, low lungs. I mean, it's mm. going less than a hundred yards. The quartering two shots is really where people, have the most difficulty and it's not necessarily a shot placement. It's the angle of the body of the deer. When a deer is looks broadside, but it's chest is curved towards you a little bit. It's actually kind of quartering to you and that exit's going to come out way back. 
And mm-hmm. it's, it's something that it, it takes a lot of time to train yourself to understand a deer could be perfectly broadside and you, Matt, you try to stop it. And if it looks at you, if it looks in that direction, it's actually quartering its chest towards you just slightly. But that slight bit changes the angle from broadside to quartering too. So if, I mean, I don't know if you have a dog, but you know, do the same thing with your dog. If your dog's like walking perfectly broadside to you, call mm-hmm. it or just snap your fingers and make it look. And it, it doesn't just turn its head. It actually will take a step and turn its, the front part of its body. And it actually mm-hmm. turns toward you a little bit and quarters to you. So consider that that quarter and away broadside. Those are the ones you want. And like I said, quarter and away is my favorite because I don't care if they turn back or not they're still then they're turning to perfectly broadside got it good tip i mean i don't have a dog but i can i can uh i have a mental picture in my head and and you know saying it's it's i have an idea of exactly what you're talking about and it definitely works i can see that all right i I got it one one other thing about the shot placement or or the distances uh i went to africa and hunted uh with a bow that's that's a that's an amazing experience but that's a whole nother story in itself and uh the very first i've actually been a couple times the very first time i went i had been just i beat into my my mind taking these really short shots 20 yards no more and i get out there in the very first evening i'm there there was this giant black wildebeest that came in and my pH is there and he's like, all right, now this is a gold medal or whatever it was. I don't even know what a gold medal is. Right. But it's like this giant gold medal, black wildebeest. He's like, all right, it's at 45 yards. Go ahead and go ahead and shoot. And I was like, ah, nah, that's a little far. And he was like, just put an arrow in. I'm like, no, no I can't do it. He's like, I'm telling you, you'll be fine. You can do it. I saw you shooting back at the camp. I just couldn't get, I couldn't bring myself to shoot. And this place is, I don't know, 20 or 30,000 acres. You know, we're going to find it if I put an arrow in it, you know, and, and they've got, they could bring dogs, tracking dogs and everything. But it was, it was the principle that I'd ingrained in my mind about put it exactly where you want it to be at close range, take all of the guesswork out, just make it a slam dunk shot. I missed an opportunity, but you know, I, I, at least I was able to stick to and adhere to that principle. Uh, now, now I've taken much longer shots since then, especially when the, uh, when the conditions were right. But uh, yeah, just, I've had that ingrained in my mind for so long and it's definitely helped my recovery rate. Nice. You know what I'm curious of? Um, all right. So with, with urban archery, I, I'm assuming the, the focus more, the focus is more on, uh, basically controlling the the deer population yep. do you is are you shooting more does or do you get a chance at some you know shooting some big bucks yeah i mean it's definitely more does like okay. i mean 20 to 1 you know i mean really <laughs> we're, we're really focusing on on you know the population control now having said that when the buck season rolls around I take a little break on Doe Patrol and, you know, I, I start focusing on bucks. And <laughs> this this year it was uh, November 13th. I, I, I shot a um, I shot a pretty nice eight point on 
think it was the opening weekend or maybe a couple days after the opening weekend of buck season this year. Mm-hmm. And then November 13th rolled around and Friday the 13th, nice cold day, beautiful ruddy day. And I was set up right between these two houses. I mean, within 60, 50, 60 yards of one of the houses and within 75 yards of the other in this pinch point. And it was between two bedding areas. And I'm sitting there talking to the camera because I was trying to self film, which I'm terrible at doing, but I'm talking to the camera and I just grunted and I hear something and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh, there, there's a buck right there coming in. And this 10 point starts walking in and he wasn't huge, but he was a nice, respectable buck. And, you know, I thought about shooting him and I said, ah, and then I heard something behind me. I turned around and a giant eight point comes out. So I dump the string on the eight point and kill him. And he runs 30 yards and dies. The other 10 point comes under me and I can see his back leg is just flopping and it was infected. You could see this wound on his rear leg. And I'm like, well, I think he's, you know, he's probably sick or hurt. I don't know. His nose was to the ground. So he's probably chasing does, but he was definitely injured and it was definitely infected. So I put him down too. So I had two really nice bucks um, in a matter of minutes. I just a couple minutes of each other from one grunt sequence. It was so, yeah, I do get to hunt some bucks but the primary focus, you know, we're, we're hunting most of the year and the buck season is only from October to January. So do, um, we do, do, we not, do get not, to travel outside on. too. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, as we speak, I'm like, I was like, yo, I got to dive into his Instagram uh, real quick. And I see the pick of these two bucks on the ground with you. Those are some beautiful deer right there. Yeah, it was awesome. Yo, that like the rack on that one is like it's like a basket almost. Um, yeah. the one you're holding up, that's dope, man. That nice, nice job. Yeah. He came up and like I, I heard him behind me. I heard this twig or something, something. I just it was noise, and I looked over my shoulder and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is it. Because you could just tell, you know, you see some of those deer, you know, in pictures and things. And then you see like that. All right, that's that's Big Papa right there. You know who it is. It's like that's that's Daddy right there. And he just stood up, and the light was like right in his face. I the light, the sunlight was right in his face, behind me, over my shoulder. And his antlers were just glistening. I could see how thick he was. I could tell right away he's not real wide, but he's huge, tall. I mean, yeah. And and I thought he had kickers and trash all off of his bases, but it ended up just being bark from these trees that he'd been rubbing. And he'd been rubbing these trees that were as big as my thigh in this area. So just yeah, he he was he was the biggest deer, you know, in that little in that little pocket. But I never saw him. I only saw where he had been rubbing, where some of his area some of his little haunts were, you know, and I just I stayed out of him and hunted it right only when you know, I knew the time was right and, and got lucky, you know, so, but he was definitely when he, he just, he was probably within 50 or 60 yards of me the whole time. I have no idea, but maybe when he heard me grunt, he just stood up and started walking down and you could just see his body was just, it was it, you know, he was a very, very mature deer and he made the other, he made the 10 point look small. Wow. You know? 
Yeah, it was cool. It was, yeah, it, that, was that was cool. And you know, I, I try to, like I said, I mean, I, I love, I love chasing bucks and the rut is a blast for me, but even more, I just, I really like hunting. I like shooting deer with my bow. I think it's a, it's a good challenge. It's not, it's not so difficult that you, you can get, that you get really, really frustrated over it, mm-hmm. but it's not so easy that it's boring. It's like that. It's that right amount of challenge and, and you know, success. It, it's, it's a good combination for me. Nice. Nice. So I've, I've got to ask. All right. So we, we went deep, deep, deep into, um, you know, I'm saying uh, deer hunting. But with spring coming up, you got any plans doing any turkey hunting? I leave on Monday night at 9 p.m. to drive to Orlando, and we're going to be doing an Osceola turkey hunt down there. And then as soon as I come back, when our season starts, yeah, I'll be out. I'll probably take take at least the first week, at least the first three or four days, um, and just focus on turkey hunting. Um, but a lot of the places I go, it's like, what's tough is that I'll go to a place that I can turkey hunt and deer hunt at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you go in every time with the intention of deer, uh, I'm sorry, of turkey hunting. you go and try to roost a bird, you go and try to, you know, go and kill mode. But then if there's deer around, you, sometimes you switch over. (laughs) I don't get very patient. I'm kind of like, I'm going to do both one or the other. So you Mm -hmm. don't, you don't ever know. In fact, last spring, I think it might. I, don't, I can't remember if it was opening day or not, but it was pretty early in the season. Taylor and I went out, same thing. We were both deer hunting, mm-hmm. and I called in a group of turkeys and shot one. And we were, t- one, <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was up in my saddle. I, I was definitely 100% deer hunting. <laughs> wow. But wow. I do, and turkey hunting is, man, it's so much fun. I remember my dad took me on my very first real turkey hunt. And we got to this property. It was black dark. You couldn't see anything. And it was this, it was kind of, it was a rural area. There were no like lights from homes. You couldn't see anything. It was so dark. And we started walking across this field. We got to the edge of the field and he whispers as quiet as he possibly can. Don't make any noise and don't break any sticks under your feet. He's not using a flashlight. And I'm like, how am I supposed to do that? He's like, walk. When I step, you step. Step right where I step. So I'm stepping on the back of his feet. And he's like, <laughs> like reaching back to squat at me, like back up. And then I get off kilter and I break a branch. And he's just, you can just see and hear. You can hear his just rage. He's like, you got to be quiet, right? <laughs> so we get in and we sit down. And I'm sitting here and I'm like anxiety level through the roof. Cause I'm afraid that I've spooked every Turkey off because I broke a little stick and I'm sitting there and I've got this little 20 gauge on my, on my knees. And he'd coach me through how I'm going to set and what I'm going to do and how I hunt and how I shoot and things like that. And just as gray light starts coming, he does some yelps, some tree yelps and this gobbler just thunders off. And I, it was close within 75 yards i mean that perfect sweet spot mm-hmm. and i just remember the hairs on the back of my neck standing up the goosebumps 
And I immediately, it wasn't even light yet. And my heart was pounding and I was heavy breathing and he's whispering in my ear, calm down, calm down. So it was ever since then, I've been, I've been totally hooked, totally, absolutely hooked. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about, about turkey hunting. That's the whole reason I elk hunt too, because elk hunting is kind of like turkey hunting, except for a horse with swords on his head. <laughs> dude, it's, it's, that would scare me, especially after hearing last year about the dude in, um, and I believe in Oregon that got gored to death, like the next day, like he put a shot on one and mm-hmm. then, and then went back out to find it. I think the next day and the wounded elk came at him and just, and killed him. Like I, I felt really bad. I was like, wow, but it's he had a guide uh, with it too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he, he brought somebody with him to help him find it. And then turned out it was still alive, still injured. And, and it was acting just like any wild animal would do, you know, in that situation. And you don't blame the elk, you know, it's just, no, not at all. They're trying to survive. Two years ago, I was hunting with my buddy blaze and another guy, Kevin, and we were in Colorado elk hunting and we got into this basin it was like this draw went up towards the top of the mountain but before it got there it opened up into like this basin like this bowl and it was probably about 300 yards across and we were coming up the draw the skinny part before it widened out and as soon as it widened out that's where we set up and my buddy blaze was the caller and he he had already killed a bull that week so he's down in the bottom of that, you know, right where it opens up into the wide area. And my other buddy and I were just kind of covering travel routes. So we scream at this bull or or blaze screams at this bull. And right away he screams back and he starts coming and he's running towards blaze runs past my buddy and my buddy shoots, but misses. Mm. So the elk runs across the basin and up on the other side and blaze is kind of down below me. But in sort of kind of in between me and the elk, but the elk moves over and I just looked at it and, you know, I'm talking earlier about, oh, I only take 20 yard shots. Well, I had a single pin and I guessed and I 70 yards and I let one rip. Okay. The arrow goes under the bull by like a foot. I way (laughs) underestimated it. It was like, it was perfect, you know, heart lungs. It just went literally a foot low. So right then, bull Blaze bugled, and he's right down in the bottom, and the bull can see down into the bottom, but he's in these bushes, so he bugles. The bull charges him. Oh, no. It goes right after him, and I'm watching slow motion. This bull's coming down the mountain and just antlers down, going right at Blaze. Blaze jumps up and gets behind this uh, quakey, an aspen tree. And the bull like slams on the brakes, turns and runs back down the draw that we had come from. So Blaze bugles at him again. He slams on the brakes, turns around and sprints back at Blaze. And this time he hits the bushes that Blaze is in. Okay. I mean, he is so pissed off. He's got snot flying out of his nose and he runs back down the draw and turns back one more time. And an arrow was on the way and I I hit him and spined him. And then he drops, right? And my buddy's like, get the hell out of here. I can't believe that happened. And Blaze is going, shoot again, shoot again. And before he even finishes, another arrow hits him. And then I just emptied my quiver into this bull. 
So we run down there, right? And this bull dies right there. And I've I've got one arrow and I'm about to shoot it again, but the bull dies in front of us. And this all happens like, I mean, this is like 10 seconds. You know, it happens so fast. I get down and I'm like, oh my gosh, Blaze, are you all right? Did he get you? Because we thought Blaze got stabbed by this bull. And he's like, no, no, it didn't hit me. I got behind the bush, but did you see him hit the bush? We're going crazy. And then I went, oh my gosh, guys, I got an elk. I killed an elk. Like, it was like I was like, oh, I forgot that I'm hunting. I was just trying to shoot this bull so it wouldn't kill my buddy Blake. Yeah, it was secondary. That that whole idea was secondary. You were trying to take care of your buddy, but that is crazy, insane, was, brother. Dude, we've had so many opportunities out there to touch elk, to touch live elk when you're bow hunting for them. It's crazy. You got to do it, man. Uh, definitely on a bucket list. All right, so uh, before I wrap this up, I know you and Taylor have a new project. You guys have a new podcast you put out, which I'm a fan of. I've been listening. Um, uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, man, it's called the Hang and Hunt Podcast. Uh, The name is definitely a play on what we do. Like, we just hang out and hunt, you know? (laughs) uh, And this is – Taylor and I are pretty – you know, we we get pretty wild, you know, but but it's raw and unfiltered. We just Mm – we basically record the things that we usually talk about anyway. So, but we have a great time doing it. We tell some pretty good stories and we, we get to joke and laugh a lot, but we also get serious and talk about the gear that we get to use. We just did that. We just talked, we had another episode about, you know, having a balance between, you know, work and home life and hunting and how, how we balance that stuff out because you know, if you really want to get out there and do it, you got to make time for it, but you also have to balance out. I got to keep my, my family happy. I got to keep work happy and those, those types of things. So, but the podcast is, is, uh, um, available on, you know, any different, uh, any different podcast, uh, app or whatever that you use. It's also on YouTube. I mean, I, I think I enjoy a lot of times watching the YouTube videos of people doing podcasts. Cause you know, you, you feel like you're sitting there hanging out with them a little mm-hmm. more. Uh, but the, but the audio too, when I get to drive, I'm always listening to podcasts, you know, when I drive too. So, but it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. I, you know, I hope some of your listeners can check it out also. No, definitely. Um, definitely. Yeah, man. All right, brother. Well, listen, um, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Yeah. Um, mainly on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, my handle is underscore William Phillips underscore. You can also find me on the hang and hunt. I think it's hangandhunt.co, uh, but just look for the Hang and Hunt podcast on YouTube under Hunt Urban or Hang and Hunt podcast. Got it. Listen, thank you, brother, for taking the time out to sit and speak with me. Um, you got a lot of dope stories, and uh, trust me, I will be hitting you up to hear some more. Um, I definitely want to follow up with you and, and hear about how uh, turkey hunting go, how your turkey season goes this year. Absolutely, absolutely. We're, we'll definitely talk about that. This will be the first time hunting Osceolas. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got those real long spurs on them, and they're you know big, beautiful birds. So I'm pumped about that. We'll definitely talk, and hopefully, I get a few more stories I can share with you. No doubt. Good luck, brother. You take care, Cliff. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Billy. I truly appreciate him taking the time out to uh, sit and speak with me. All right. So, like he said. Um, he and Taylor have put out their own podcast. That is the Hanging Hunt podcast. Definitely check them out. Um, really good content. And you can follow Billy on Instagram, like he mentioned, at underscore William Phillips underscore. All right. Um, 
If this was your first time listening to this podcast, I totally appreciate you guys taking the time to listen, taking a chance on this. I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you are a return listener, um, thank you. Uh, you know what I'm saying? For subscribing and listening every week and whatnot. I truly appreciate all of y'all. Um, if you guys are really cool about it, whatever platform you're using to listen to the podcast, please head over to the review section and hook me up with a five-star rating and if you're feeling truly generous hook a brother up with a dope review aside from that you guys stay blessed and remember to respect the journey even when it's not your own